You know, when you see a drama like this, you think about a living situation, and perhaps you remember uh, back to some of these kinds of experiences. The first place that Lisa and I lived as a married couple was an apartment in Dallas. And this was really the place to be in the city of Dallas in the 1940s. When we lived there in the 1990s, uh, it was not such a great place anymore. It was tiny and pretty uh, cheap. The kitchen sloped so badly that if you left anything round on the countertop, it would simply roll south until it hit the wall and stopped. Our apartment complex had central air and heat for the complex, not for individual apartment units. That meant there were regulations as far as when the air conditioning could be turned on. It wasn't allowed to be turned on until late May. That meant in the city of Dallas, there were some 100 degree days that we had no air conditioning for. The heat, you were not allowed to turn on until early December. The complex couldn't. So what that meant is on cold days in November, we'd turn the oven on, leave it open, and sit in front of it as a way to try to stay warm. Our dining room table in this wonderful first apartment was a hand-me-down from some college students who didn't want it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, how bad is that? And our couch, our couch was so bad that one day we had an older couple from our church over. We had them over to our house, and during the time when we were talking together, they sat on the couch the whole time. When they got up to leave, as they were leaving, they said, um... Would you mind if we bought you a new couch? (laughs) So, of course, we accepted. Uh, They bought us a couch. We still have it today. It's in the home that we currently live in. But you know, the worst thing of the whole experience was although Lisa and I had agreed to live in that apartment together, we had selected it together, I saw it before she did. And so when I took her to the apartment and opened the door to show it to her, her very first response was, she started to cry. And at that moment, I remember thinking to myself, I so desperately want to provide a better place for our family to live in the future. And by God's grace and generosity, he's moved us. We don't live in that same uh, little tiny apartment anymore. And his grace and generosity has allowed us to be able to have a wonderful home in which we live. And I remember when we were able to move into the house we're in now, that Lisa cried again. Uh, But this time it was tears of joy that God had been so generous to us uh, and so kind to us. And in reality, it was God who had moved us and allowed me really to fulfill that promise of trying to move out of that not-so-great living situation into one that was much more comfortable and much better But in reality, that rescue that he provided came in two stages. Now, I'm simplifying the process. But essentially, the first stage was a move out of apartment life into a very wonderful starter home. And we lived in that starter home uh, with a couple of our children and had a great experience there. But soon we outgrew that starter home, and God did a second stage of moving us along, and we moved from a wonderful little starter home into the great family home that we live in now. And I know many of you have had the same kind of two-stage sort of move, 
Well, in reality, that is uh, a metaphor, if you will, for what God is wanting to do in the world today. You see, when God created this world, it was essentially the place to be, so to speak, kind of like our apartment was in the 1940s. But because sin has entered the world, the creation as we see it now is much more like the apartment we lived in in the 1990s. When you look around the world today, there is much that can and does make us sad. But God sees our sadness at the world in which we are forced to live in today, and he has promised to do something to fix the situation. And that promise is essentially unfolding in two stages, a starter home, if you will, and then a promised full family home that we have to look forward to in the future. Where we are today in God's plan for rescuing the world is we're in the starter home, the pilot program, if you will. And the person who is most associated with God's plan for rescuing the world in two stages is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so morning what we want to do is we want to teach through some truths about the Holy Spirit so that we might better understand this person of the Trinity and what he means for us today. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, it's page 827 in the Bibles the church provides. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning, let me review quickly where we've been in our study of the book of Ephesians. Our first week in the book, we looked at God's plan for the universe and hinted that it is a plan that happens in two stages what God is doing now in the church, and what God is planning to do in the future when Christ returns. Two weeks ago, we focused our attention on the person of God, and we saw that what is true about God is that he is spirit, light, and love, and that this God eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's chief activity is the giving of life. That's what he does. Last week, we focused our attention on the person of Jesus, who is the main actor in God's plan for rescuing the world. And we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fully divine, fully human Savior of the world. This morning we want to continue our teaching through the basic beliefs of Christianity by looking at the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you will, as I read verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit or down payment 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here in this passage and really throughout the scriptures, there are two very important things that we want to understand about the Holy Spirit. And these two things are tied to the two stages of God's rescue. The stage today, the sort of starter home, if you will, and then the future coming in which God is going to fix all things, the future family home, if you will. And so let's begin this morning by focusing on today, what the Holy Spirit means for us as believers today. Well, look in verse 13. Do you see where it says at the end of that verse that the promised Holy Spirit, that if you're a believer in Jesus today, you and I have the promised Holy Spirit? Well, that's a reference to the fact that in the Old Testament and in Jesus' ministry, God made promises about the giving of the Holy Spirit. One of those is in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's a promise from God given in the Old Testament that as he looks around this broken and fallen world that our sin has ruined, he makes a promise that he's going to begin to rescue us and that part of the first stage of the rescue is the giving of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to enable us to obey God's laws. This same promise was reiterated by Jesus in John 14. Jesus says, as he's getting ready to depart to the Father, he says, "On I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be where? In you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's the same promise that was made in Ezekiel 36. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 1 is this promised Holy Spirit, promised from Ezekiel, promised by Jesus, has now come to believers today, that we have the promised Holy Spirit. And what it is that we have is that the Holy Spirit, according to Ezekiel and to John, is really God's empowering presence dwelling in us. He is God's empowering presence 
dwelling in us. You see, he's kind of like the wife from the skit this morning. He is the person who is able to help us obey that there are details in life that have to be worked out, that if God's plan is going to come to fruition, we are going to need some help, someone who can guide us, someone who understands how things work, who can lead us and direct us so we end up in the right place, empowered to do the things God wants us to do. God says, I'm making you a promise. I will give somebody to you who will enable you to do that. And that is what the Holy Spirit is for us today. He is God's empowering presence dwelling in us. You can see this as you look throughout the scriptures at the way in which the Spirit is described in his activity. Let me show a number of those to you. You have them written in your notes. You don't need to write them down. I put them in your notes for you as well as the passages that go with them. But just listen as I read all the different things that the Spirit is said to be doing today. We're told that he sanctifies us. He gives us joy. The Spirit reveals the mysteries of God to us. He teaches us what to say in times of persecution. The Holy Spirit empowers us to speak. He enables us to put to death the sinful deeds that we normally would engage in. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. He enables us to worship. He saves us, meaning he takes what Christ has done for us on the cross and applies it to our lives. He intercedes for us, praying every moment for us. He leads us. He teaches us. He empowers us to love. He provides help when we are in need. The Bible tells us that the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts as he determines He enables us to wait for our salvation. He assures us that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit convicts the world with regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit inspires God's word. We can see him active in the lives of Jesus and in the apostles. In Jesus' case, the Spirit, we are told, led him into the wilderness to be tempted. He empowered Jesus to drive out demons. The Holy Spirit, we're even told, raised Jesus from the dead. In Luke, he prompted Simeon to go out into the courtyard to see Jesus as a baby. He instructed Philip in the book of Acts in sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. He sent Peter to share the gospel with the Gentiles. He sent Paul to Jerusalem. He presided over the Jerusalem council. And he called Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. Now, let me show you this last passage that we're referring to there. It's Acts 13, 2. Listen to what it says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You notice the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a ghost or a wind, or a force. He's an actual person. He's made a decision to call Saul and Barnabas into missionary work, and so he says to these people, do what I've asked you to do. You see, this is what the Spirit does. He's God's empowering presence with us, who is leading and guiding and enabling 
everything to happen the way God wants it to happen. You see, left to our own devices, we would continue to mess this world up. But what God has done is for those who are believers in Jesus, he has given us his Holy Spirit who is with us all of the time to do these things for us. You see, the Holy Spirit is like the implementation specialist of the Trinity. God the Father plans all things. God the Son is the one through whom his life, death, and resurrection makes it all possible. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes to dwell within us so that on a day-to-day basis we can actually live in accordance with what God has planned for us. What does this look like? Well, this morning, as you came to church, there were people who enabled you to be able to park in the parking spot that you were, who had set up the parking lot and directed you. The Spirit is the one who called them to that work and empowered them for that act of service. As you came in this morning and we participated together, we are worshiping God the Father. The Spirit is the one who's empowering us to do that. He is the one who is taking the words that we're singing and saying and making them acceptable to the Father. If this morning you leave here today and you know something more about the Spirit and you are encouraged to live differently because of that, That's his doing. You see, he's the one who's chosen our topic for this morning. He's the one that is speaking through his word that he wrote to teach us about himself. If you go home this afternoon and while you're there eating lunch, you feel this prompting in your spirit or this voice in your head or something telling you that your spouse looks discouraged, that you ought to speak words of encouragement to him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does is he's guiding and directing and empowering. If tonight, as the hour gets later and later and you're like me, just simply wasting time on the internet or watching a movie or watching TV and you know that you should just shut the thing off and go to bed and there's that voice in your head that is saying, look, enough of this. You need to be rested for tomorrow. That's the Spirit convicting us, encouraging us to live in accordance with what God wants us to do. That's what he is, God's empowering presence with us. That's why if you're here this morning and you're a single parent and you're saying, how in the world am I going to make it on my own trying to raise these children? Paul's saying, don't you realize that God has given us his Holy Spirit, that God himself dwells within you, that everything you need to obey and to be guided and to be led and to be empowered is within you. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the death of my spouse. Paul's saying, God has given you his very spirit to live with you, that you will not journey through these next days alone, that God is in you, that he's with you. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, when I go to school tomorrow, I've got to say something about what I believe in this world to my friends. How am I going to be able to do that? God's spirit lives in you. He's been given to you. God himself is with you to empower you and to enable you to do whatever it is that he asks you to do. This is what Paul is celebrating in Ephesians chapter one. This promise of God 
that he's going to give to us his very spirit to enable us to live in such a way that the power of God is resident in our lives. That's the first thing I want us to understand about the Holy Spirit is that for us as Christians today, he is God's empowering presence with us. God himself present with us, leading, guiding, directing, enabling, convicting, empowering you and I to live in accordance with God's will. There's a second thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. And this has to do not so much with today, but with the future. If you remember, I said that God's plan for rescuing the world is really a two-stage process. That first he moves us out of the apartment life into a starter home, if you will, which is the church, which is where we are today. But this is not the end goal. There is a final future dwelling place for us. This final rescue in which God will bring all things back together under Christ. And the Spirit is not only uniquely connected to what's happening today, he is also connected to the promise of what is coming in the future. Look what it says in verse number 14. The Spirit is not only God's empowering presence with us today, verse 14, He is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, not only is the Holy Spirit God's empowering presence for us today, he is also the guarantee of an even better future. See the language that Paul uses there is a deposit. You see that word? That is essentially the word that's used for down payment. He's the down payment on a better future. Now, I started the sermon by telling you as where we lived uh, as a married couple and how God took us from uh, a not very great living situation into a starter home and then into a wonderful family home that meets the needs of our family. In that sort of two-stage process, we talked about the starter home. Well, one of the great things about the starter home is not only is it better than the apartment that we lived in, it also itself became a down payment on the family home in which we live now. What I mean is, is that the equity that was in the starter home was used as a down payment to make sure we ended up where we are today. God's saying something similar about the Holy Spirit. Not only is he present with us today, allowing our lives to be guided and empowered so that we are much better off than we were before he came. He also himself is the down payment on an even better future. That life with God that brings tears to our eyes, not of pain, but of joy. That God has been so generous to us. The hope that we have that when Christ returns, all things will be fixed. Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is the deposit or the down payment on that future life 
And God has already made that today. Now think about buying a home for a moment. If you put down a down payment on a house and you begin to make monthly payments and then all of a sudden you're not able to make those payments anymore, you go into foreclosure or you decide you want to walk away from the house, do you get your down payment back? No. (laughs) The same is true for God. He's made a down payment on us. He's in the process of purchasing us from a broken and fallen world and bringing us into a kingdom that he has designed for us. What would happen if God were to walk away from us at some point in the future? Would he get his down payment back? No. But who's the down payment? The Holy Spirit. Can God simply abandon the Holy Spirit? He cannot because the Holy Spirit is God. This is what Paul is saying. Do you understand what we've been given as a down payment? It's not a certain amount of money. It's not a whole bunch of nice things. The down payment we've been given is God himself. That's why the Bible says, even if Christians, as Christians, we're faithless, he remains faithful because why? He cannot disown himself. God cannot walk away from you and I at any point from now on, or he'd have to abandon his down payment, which is not possible for him to do. This is what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Not only is he God's empowering presence in our lives today, he is the unbreakable guarantee of a better tomorrow. Think about that. He's a deposit, meaning he's not even the full payment. He's only part of what God wants to do for us. As wonderful as our little starter home was, it doesn't compare to where we live now. The same is true of what God is doing. As wonderful as it is right now, that God is with us, that he's empowering us, that he's speaking to us, it doesn't even begin to compare to what he wants to do for us in the future. See, this is a two-stage rescue. The promise that that second stage is coming for us is that God has given us his Holy Spirit as an unbreakable guarantee of the future. Two things we need to know about the Holy Spirit. For today, he is God's empowering presence with us. For tomorrow... He is the unbreakable guarantee of an even better tomorrow. Two implications from these teachings for our lives today, and then we're through. The first is because God, the Holy Spirit, is his empowering presence with us today, we are commanded to walk by the Spirit. We're commanded to live by the Spirit God has given himself to dwell in our hearts, to guide us, to convict us, to lead us, to empower us. What that means is is that this week when you come to lead your small group on Wednesday night and you think to yourself, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough education to answer all these questions that people may have. I'm not sure that I'm good enough at facilitating groups. The promise that Paul is saying is, look, but you have something better. 
You have something better than experience, better than education. God himself dwells in you. Everything you need for that task is with you. But too many of us simply ignore the spirit in our lives. Those promptings in our heart to share the gospel, to ask for forgiveness when we've sinned, to sign up for something that we think is beyond us. Those promptings from the spirit, we simply plug our ears to them. We ignore them and we live our lives with us still being in control. The Bible says that's not what God is asking us to do. He's given us his spirit to lead us and guide us. And so the question I want you to ask as you go from this place today is what difference is it currently making in your life that the God of the universe dwells in you? What difference is that making? in the decisions that you make and how you make them? What difference is it making in the ways in which you serve or minister for God's kingdom that God himself lives in you? What difference is it making in how you parent your children? What difference does it make tomorrow when you go to work or to school? How is it making a difference as you care for the loved one that is unable to care for themselves in your life? God lives in us. Everything we need for life and godliness is resident in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That ought to make all the difference, does it? And how? A second implication from this teaching has to do with the Spirit as the guarantee of an even better tomorrow. Our assurance as believers in Jesus that we will spend eternity with God has everything to do with the presence of the Spirit in our lives today. If the Spirit's not present in our lives, if He's not teaching us things, if He's not enabling us to worship, if He's not convicting us, if He's not empowering us, if He's not gifting us for service, then we can have no assurance that we will spend eternity with God. It doesn't matter what we prayed when we were eight years old. It doesn't matter what we say we believe. The deposit that guarantees our inheritance is the spirit in our lives. If he's not there, then God hasn't put a down payment down on you. But if he is present in your life, if he's been teaching you things about himself, about the son, about the father, if you have been displaying the fruits of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. If he's guiding you and enabling you, then you and I have absolute assurance. No matter what the world may say, no matter what our hearts may say, no matter what anybody else may say, God has already put down a down payment on us. It's irrevocable. And if God is with us today, he will be with us forever and ever and ever and the encouragement from this teaching is don't doubt don't be afraid if the spirit is present in your life you can be absolutely assured that God will fulfill the next stage of his promise to you and it's so far outweighs what we have today that they're not even worthy to be compared to each other. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Though the world does not know him, we know something about him because he dwells in us. Help us to understand him better and to yield our lives to his leading. Father, we are sorry for living our own lives and wanting to be in charge of how things happen. We ask that we would listen more closely to the Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who perhaps have been telling themselves that they are Christians, who have been attending church and doing all these things, but the Spirit is simply not present in their lives. Lord, would you let them realize that He is the only assurance we have and that they need to come to accepting Christ as truly their Savior. Father, for those who are here who the Spirit is clearly active, yes, they're not perfect, but he's clearly evident in their lives. Would you sweep away any doubts that they have about the future, any concerns that they might be able to lose their salvation, any fears that they have? Lord, would you allow us to rest in the fact that the Spirit is a guarantee, an unbreakable promise from you? God, you are so good to us that you have given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.